Hello everybody and welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast presented by BrotoFantasy.com and the Fantasy Football by Brodo app, the only tool you need to dominate fantasy football. What up, what up, what up? We are back. It's the newest episode of the Dynasty Dawn. Kicking it off. I'm flying solo today. No worries. We know what we're getting into. Immediately, we'll touch into it. It's news and notes. We've got a few free agency signings to touch on, some quarterback movement, some big news, some defensive signings. We won't get too deep into those. For the IDP players, you can always hit me up on Twitter if you want to hear about that stuff. But we got Jimmy G falling to the Raiders. Um, Aaron Rodgers seems to be inevitably handling to the Jets. And, of course, Lamar Jackson still in limbo. Um, I think... Since this is the Dynasty episode, we should really just be focusing on the heightened values of potential players like Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson should the Rodgers signing happen at any point in time, which at this point in time, it seems entirely inevitable. Um, I think that Elijah Moore may even be involved in that package, which a teaming up with Jordan Love doesn't really do much for his dynasty value and his excitement there after such a bad fall off in a sophomore season from what was obviously a very impressive close to his rookie season. Garrett Wilson is valued in such a way that he's already kind of presumed to be continuing the incredible rookie numbers that we saw a thousand yard season that should continue into his sophomore year wide receiver one seasons absolutely in his range of outcomes and his trajectory. That is already presumed with Garrett Wilson. Aaron Rodgers landing there isn't going to do much to spike that value. It is certainly going to do something to help his production and his consistency on field. But Garrett Wilson is already valued as a top 12 dynasty wide receiver. That Rodgers signing or trade may push that into top 10, top 8. But it's not much of a positional value gap when you're talking about those top 24 assets. um, Top 30 even. In between those, you know, two and a half rounds of a dynasty startup. I obviously would love the landing spot for Rodgers in New York for Garrett Wilson and the trajectory of that offense, a healthy Brees Hall with more scoring opportunities. Absolutely terrific. But as far as assuming a value jump for those players, I think they're already valued at their peak as if Zach Wilson was the answer in the first place. It was kind of assumed that they weren't going to continue with Zach Wilson and whether it have been Derek Carr or a Jimmy G, obviously their values were going to jump when they moved on from their bust rookie. So with that signing looming, it's not really doing much for them, but it will certainly do much for their production. So if you're holding on to them and were keen enough to draft them in their rookie years and get the early you know, career discount, then bravo. But as far as kind of turning around in the market and, and attempting to sell at max value, they're kind of already at max value and, and valued correctly, for my opinion, as well, considering the talents that they are. Jimmy G to the Raiders, I think Devontae Adams has been a sell for years in Dynasty. And, and yes, the production has held up. So obviously, if you sold you know, immediately after the Packers trade or, you know, before Matt LaFleur came, like he had incredible seasons and and I would have had to have eat the bullet there, but the decline is coming. The uncertainty of the Raiders quarterback position, even with Jimmy Garoppolo there, like, I mean, uncertainty production wise, doesn't really do much for me as far as wanting to hold on to Devontae Adams. Now, if you're a competing roster, I think obviously the move is to hold on to him. Jimmy G is going to hyper target him likely. It's going to be a positive 
offense for Devontae's targets, at least as far as positive for the Raiders. I'm not so entirely sure about that, but I think Devontae can certainly maintain high end wide receiver two production, if not sneak into that wide receiver 12 spot. Um, Once again, an overall finish or in points per game to, you know, kind of maintain production, but the value will never meet there. And no, Jimmy G isn't the most exciting signing, but it will probably move the needle enough on the market where you might be able to get a viable return for other contenders in your league that are more so willing to eat the decline risk of Devontae Adams. Now, a, a decline of Devontae Adams into wide receiver two territory is, is still decent production, of course, um, but it's how much do you want to hold on to that production when you can weigh how the opposite, which is would be how much you can get on the market. I'm kind of looking for the market return. It's why I've said he's going to sell for a while. Um, I have no issues with you holding that production. And and obviously, again, he's going to be the number one target. Jimmy G is a an efficient enough quarterback and has found comfort in McDaniel's system before. I'm not going to say success, but if he runs a similar system and, and gives Jimmy Garoppolo some comfort um, and obviously manufactures that offense to work and cater to his strengths as a short yardage quarterback, then Devontae can certainly put up decent production, but I don't think he's ever going to put up that same value that people are hoping for. The value will never meet the production. And if this is in a window of opportunity to sell, I wouldn't hate managers to take that window of opportunity and explore the options. That's pretty much going to cover it for news and notes. This is the dynasty focused one. We'll always get deep into the news and notes on Thursday pods. So I don't want to touch too much into that. We're going to go deep, deep once those signings are actually official and, and open up that bag of worms on Thursday for now. I really want to get more into the dynasty focused stuff and what I've been doing on these dynasty podcasts um, for the last couple episodes. The, I mean, this is only episode three, but we've been looking at rookie profiles and Femi and I covered the combine last week and kind of how you can, anticipate combine grades affecting draft stock and affecting real life NFL trajectory and and real life fantasy points in your roster. So before that, I get into the next three wide receiver prospects that we're going to look at today, you can go back in the anal um, in the archives and and check out the Jordan Addison, Quinton Johnson, excuse me, and Jackson Smith and Jigba episode. Today, we're going to look at Josh Downs, Say Flowers, and Jamon Hyatt. But before we do that, I want to kind of explain my process to the viewers so that there's a better understanding between me and you on how I kind of come to these conclusions and, and how I grade these rookies out and, and have success as a dynasty manager and, and kind of my process as a fantasy scout, um, more so than an NFL scout, certainly. So there's just, there's a few things, especially with you know, wide receivers, but it it correlates to every player. One of the things obviously that managers should look for is, is early declare and early breakouts. So what an early declare is, is if a guy declares for the NFL draft with still having NCAA eligibility on his ticket. So a guy plays three years, declares for the NFL draft, that would be considered an early declare. Technically a red shirt freshman with three years of play as well would also be an early declare, but those get a little harder to tell as well during the COVID seasons where guys didn't have seasons count against their eligibility um, because of the COVID shortened season. I digress there, but early declare if they've played three seasons with positive production can have that luxury of that production leading to NFL draft or the potential of NFL draft capital. And how young did they get to that conclusion? Um, Did they do it at the age of 19 
two years removed from high school or was their first true breakout season at 21 in their final collegiate season? Because those things matter. You want to see guys dominate their opponents at a young age because that will absolutely translate to continuing to dominate those opponents at an NFL level. Because guess what? When they enter the NFL, they're also at the youngest age possible in comparison to their competition. So seeing them do that, even though it's the NCAA level, is certainly a positive indicator of that continuing as they develop in the NFL. Production thresholds that I like to look at from an analytic perspective are are target share. I like over 25% in any given best season, the earlier, the better, earlier, the better for all analytics. We'll just set that right across the board so that I don't have to repeat it earlier, the better, the younger, the better, but a best season um, receiving yard per team pass attempt of over 2.0 yards. But more importantly, I like seeing a best season receiving yards per team attempt over 1.0. And the reason that I prefer the receiving yards over team attempt and why I include the rushing attempts in that analytic threshold is because of an NCAA team is not actively catering their offense to get targets, get yards and touches to their best receiver then that receiver isn't as good as your models are indicating. It's a lot easier, obviously, at the collegiate level to succeed and succeed with incredible production thresholds. If a receiver is being pushed down by a coach decidedly going, I'm going to allow this fifth round running back or or potentially even a running back that will not get drafted or ever see NFL playing time to get 300 touches. And I'm only going to allocate 60 targets to my wide receiver and that wide receiver catches 58 of them for 560 yards that's going to look excellent in his receiving yards per team pass attempt model but it's terrible in my opinion that that coach didn't go not only is this receiver much more talented than this running back that never has NFL success but I want to cater my offense to be more successful through this player that is a red flag and that is an indicator so that's why I use receiving yards per team attempt when looking at receivers uh, best season receiving touchdown share over 30 best season receiving yards touch share over 30 that's dominator rating so for those of you that are wondering a dominator rating is receiving yards share and receiving touchdown share um, combined so I like to see that over 30% for wide receivers over 35 for running backs if we're talking true elite we can get to that over 30 percent range for running backs and still have some pretty positive um analytic models especially when looking at yards per carry and yards per game um those receiving yards share and, and receiving or rushing yard share and, and touchdown shares for running backs can get a little less um you can't accept a little bit of a lesser threshold especially on offenses like say in ohio state and alabama where they're producing several nfl stars so as long as they're meeting other thresholds as well then you can take a little bit of a hit there um for wide receivers you want to see best season offensive touchdown share around 15 percent to know that they are also dominating the touches overall in the offense not just the receiving touchdowns but they are taking touchdowns away from running backs away from rushing quarterbacks knowing that these guys are true red zone threats and the ones that need to have touches you know um or don't need rather to have touches given to them they they certainly dominate the opportunity share 
Um, draft capital is going to be one of the most important things that you look at for rookie evaluations, regardless of position. If you were to build a dynasty, a historic dynasty roster just off of the hit rates of first round draft picks, you would have a pretty successful team. NFL scouts aren't perfect and they make more mistakes than any of us at some points in time. But that said, they certainly know better than I think the common couch scout and the common Twitter troll. So when NFL teams invest first round draft capital into players. It's not just a positive indication of the production profile and the profile in and of itself. It's a positive indication of how they are going to develop that player. First round players have a longer leash for development. They are forced into situations, positive situations where they are going to produce right away, likely where we look, we've just spent first round draft capital on this kid. Let's get him some touches. Even if those touches are manufactured, say a Jalen Waddle near negative a dot rookie season, it still leads to very positive production because they want that player to develop at the NFL level quickly. So first round draft capital is going to be a major indicator. And there are certainly cutoffs. You can look at historic hit rates and, and even just Wikipedia draft classes and, and look up and down the the draft catalog of like, oh, look, four Hall of Famers selected in the first, none in the second, none in the third. So it does matter. And and yes, there is absolutely outliers and outliers that you can find in rookie drafts and throughout you know your dynasty process that aren't going to get the nfl draft capital that you're saying look all of these guys have surpassed the thresholds that i previously just mentioned they look great in my analytic model but the nfl for whatever reason say it be size or small school or a potential injury or character concern isn't valuing this guy the same way they're drafting him in the fourth round those are the guys that i like to consider sleepers i'm willing to take big risks on outliers or quote unquote outliers if the cost evaluation is similar. So if a a good example for that, I think is Damian Pierce last season. He was a fourth round running back landed in a starting role immediately after he was drafted by the Texans. And it took a little bit of time for the market to catch up, but was eventually pushed up into the first round. Damian Pierce was still an outlier. Now he did hit for the first couple weeks and eventually turned into a waste of a draft pick, especially considering all of the rookie wide receivers that hit in that range and hit afterwards. If Damian Pierce was offered to me in the third round of that same rookie draft, I would feel absolutely okay with that because he has passed some of those thresholds and he does have a positive landing spot. He doesn't have the draft capital that pushes his prospect model into an elite tier and is likely a volatile asset for that matter. But when the cost is efficient, I'm willing to take those outliers and put them on my roster. Otherwise, I want nothing to do with them. If the NFL doesn't value them and if they have crossed a few certain thresholds and now the dynasty market is all hot and bothered by them for a whether it be a good combine or a positive landing spot, even though that the draft capital isn't allocated to that landing spot, a la Sky Moore, then I'm not interested. I'm not interested in wasting draft capital on guys that don't check all of the boxes. And you're always going to have misses on guys that check all of the boxes as well. But the game that we're playing an odds game here, Dynasty is about, as Brad Pitt says, like the odds are stacked against us and we're going to turn the cards on the house. Like we're going to turn the cards on the casino. And the only way to do that is by playing a risk adverse game. You take the best opportunities with the guys that check all the boxes in the best draft capital and the best hit rates. And sometimes you miss out. Yeah. But as long as you avoid the outliers and avoid spending big on the outliers so that your misses don't cost so much, you should do pretty well. 
then I go into things like combine scores, landing spots, film grade, and PFF grades. But honestly, those things are very, very minimal for me. I don't trust myself as a film scout. There's something as a dynasty manager that you should also do, and that's know your own weaknesses. I trust what I see on film if it also is positive in my analytical model. And, and kind of what I mean by that is... I don't need film personally to tell me if a player is good because they will stand out analytically. And most of the time, more often than not, if a player is standing out analytically, he is also popping on film. But the adverse of that is a player can pop on film and not be great analytically. And people will reach on that film excitement, but miss on all of the red flags and all of the things that say this player is an outlier. And when you're investing rookie picks into those players, which I obviously wouldn't do for film purposes, yes, you can still find diamonds in the rough, but I, in my opinion, it leads to much less success than just following a solid analytic model and then adding your film perception to that model. Like when you look at Jamar Chase's analytic prospect profile it's the greatest analytic prospect profile of any wide receiver that you've ever seen and if you go and watch his youtube highlights they're also phenomenal but you can also go and watch terrace marshall absolutely sun sec defenders and point proven um <laughs> that said i think that's going to kind of wrap up what i look at in these film um or in these prospect profiles in, in the, these analytic models um, for wide receivers, for running backs, very similar process, a bit of different numbers, obviously, because they have different roles, but it is about market share, it's draft capital, very important. Again, production will always reign supreme over combine numbers, as, as we said in the previous episode. Um, that said, let's get right into the first wide receiver. Let's get into the Bolitnikoff award, award winner. Let's talk about Tennessee's Jalen Hyatt and his prospect profile and how he's coming into the NFL draft. Now, listed measurable, six foot, 176 pounds. So he's slight frame, has long arms, 32 and a half inches, nine inch hand with 21.4 years, uh, 21.5 at, at the draft. Sure. Early declare. Yeah, he checks that box and he broke out at 20 years old. His combine was very, very solid. He ran a 4-4 flat, 1.5 second. 10 yard split top six in the 40 or in the vertical jump at 40 inches, 11 and three inch, 11 foot and three inch broad jump. Um, so very, very solid combine, but we were expecting so much athleticism that I think the general consensus of Jalen Hyatt was a bit of a disappointing combine. It still should not be underrated that this guy is an absolutely phenomenal athlete, understated rather, but he isn't the most athletic guy in the draft class. And for a guy that had a lot of red flags that were based off of fundamentals specifically, and that his positive flags in his profile were specifically his athleticism, certainly a little concerning. He lit everything up in high school and then took a few years to get acclimated at college. Now, he was a four-star recruit, ended up winning the Bolitnikoff Award in his final season. He was first-team All-SEC in 2022, a unanimous All-American in 2022. He set the single-game receiving touchdown record at Tennessee with five against Alabama and a very unsuspecting blowout that put Alabama essentially out of the playoff contention due to that loss in season scheduling. Single-game receiving 
touchdown record or single season receiving touchdown record rather at Tennessee as well with 15 in 2022 led the SEC in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns in 2022 on route to his Blitnikoff. He had menial contributions as a freshman and sophomore, put up 20 receptions for 276 yards with two touchdowns in his inaugural season, followed that up with 21 for 226 with two touchdowns in his second year. And the lack of target competition, you're talking Velas Jones level target competition on Tennessee's roster during those initial seasons, that plants a concerning red flag for his NFL trajectory, in my opinion. That early breakout didn't quite come in the way that we like to expect it. But that proverbial red flag was then wiped out with a ferocious intent. His final season where he posted 1,267 yards, 67 receptions. That's 18.9 yards per reception, 15 touchdowns on route to the Bolitnikoff. Again, NCAA's top wideout is what that award is given to. He even posted a career high and single game high numbers against Alabama's vaunted defense, 207 receiving yards in that record-breaking five touchdown game. Put all rumors of a return to rest after Tennessee's playoff aspirations were snuffed out in a devastating loss to South Carolina. Declared for the draft immediately, avoided their bowl, bowl game. Stellar junior season obviously has, and Bolitnikoff has him projected to go in the NFL draft as a first-round asset. I think he's going to be obviously a first-round asset in rookie drafts as well, reflecting that. He led NCAA in QB rating when targeted in 2022, generating a 156.5 QBR in his final season, ranked fifth in NCAA in receptions or receiving yards, tied second in receiving touchdowns, second most in receiving yards in Tennessee Volunteers history. Absolutely phenomenal profile. And to tie second most in Tennessee's history of receiving yards when he really didn't do much until his junior season kind of gives you a bit of a idea of how special that final year certainly was. And, and obviously the NCAA recognized it as well. He only played eight games in 2020. Only nine in 2021, and then 2022 suited up for all 12, 67 receptions, a 23.1% reception share in his final season. 91 targets equated to a 21.6% target share for Jalen Hyatt. Again, 1,267 receiving yards, 15 TDs. That's a 29.9% receiving yard share. So just below that 30% threshold in our best season mark that we want to see. But man, he put up 18.9 yards per reception, 3.00 receiving yards per team pass attempt got over that receiving yards per team attempt threshold with 1.34 39.5% of the team's receiving touchdowns 19.2% of the team's total touchdowns finishes his collegiate career with 29 games played 108 receptions 155 targets 1769 receiving yards 19 total touchdowns on a 12.0 yard average depth of target he played 782 snaps in college he ran 725 routes that's a pretty decent route participation you like to see that out of wide receivers of course it wasn't just uh you know um manufactured targets he was certainly earning those opportunities and earning those targets as the top earner on the the depth chart 2.50 yards per route run was his collegiate career average 85.9 percent of his snaps came from the slot and just 14.0 percent of his snaps came from out wide now high at speed certainly allows him to function out wide but i think managers definitely need to put that in their evaluations with him he's being valued and vaunted for his speed as an elite outside separator that has never separated on the outside at an elite rate 
there's a lot that concerns me with Jalen Hyatt. I'm fine with him in the back end of the first round, but certainly not going to value him, I think, the same way that NFL GMs are, and I think the same way that his market consensus is going to fall in line with once his NFL draft capital is attached, because how often do we see NFL GMs get enamored with speed and overpay and overinvest in very speedy wide receivers that have somewhat positive profiles, but certainly more red flags than positive ones. And it happens a lot, a la John Ross. His scouting strengths are great, but he has a lot of scouting weaknesses. I'll get into it. He's He pressures defensive backs off the line of scrimmage with elite speed. Initial burst and acceleration is phenomenal from Hyatt. Elite top end, straight line speed, but it has to be in a straight line. Excellent deep ball tracker, can do it over both shoulders, has a very wide catch radius and wide wingspan. He's a big play maven, so he can take short targets to the house as well with his speed, but obviously accelerates, um, excels best rather, on deep balls and as a vertical threat, lethal as a deep threat and after the catch. He's got decent um, separation skills on the press, but can definitely get bullied around a bit there. He's got long frame, long wingspan, maintains space during route exits really well and at the point of attack. So he creates separation both with his speed and he can keep defenders shielded from getting the ball as well. You like to see that when they're going up for that Deep contested catch, um, effortless strides when reaching his top speed. His running motion is as good as it gets textbook, you would say, and he catches everything in that running motion. So that is what obviously creates a lot of those running after the catch opportunities, but it doesn't slow him down on those deep routes as well. If the ball's a little bit underthrown, he knows how to slow his timing of an acceleration down and continue to catch that ball in stride. He has an extremely limited route tree. That's probably his top weaknesses. I mean, you could call his biography goes in slants. That is all he ran in college. A late breakout, meaning virtually meaningless production until year three. He lacks the strength to dominate contested catch situations if the it's truly a 50-50 ball, but it's very rare that he doesn't stack a defender um, and kind of just separate with his speed. Gets lost in zone coverage, though. He doesn't really have those route running nuances to be able to know when to sit down. He just wants to run as fast as he can on every single route and get hit in motion. That doesn't work when guys are sitting in and out of zones and can kind of meet you at that point of catch easily across the middle. Primarily used as a slot receiver despite all of this vaunted outside speed, which certainly should be a little bit concerning if again he's not overly successful across the middle in that zone look um so nfl at that level slot is obviously where he's most comfortable and might not be where he would find the most success um teams may look to move him out of that position so another kind of weaknesses is going to be how long it takes for him to develop his success relies on speed rather than fundamental techniques and that's obviously another concern you know, it, it's a lot easier at a collegiate level to just burn by dudes. At the NFL level, everyone's fast. You're talking about funneling all of the fastest receivers that were, or cornerbacks that were able to stop Jalen Hyatt throughout his career and putting them into NFL teams because that is exactly what happens. The NFL defenses are also much smarter. Teams are much better at scheming against players. So a guy that relies specifically on go routes, you know when he is running a decoy and you know when you have to put pressure on him to stop that route. 
His expected draft capital is still going to be very good, according to grinding the mocks and the NFL mock draft database. He's getting first round draft capital with an EDP expected draft projection of 24.1. Consensus position rank is wide receiver four. He's behind the three previous that we mentioned in the first episode in Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jordan Addison and Quentin Johnson. Best landing spots, in my opinion, would be Dallas Cowboys as a true field stretcher, somebody that already has an alpha wide receiver to take that pressure off and CeeDee Lamb as well. Same thing said for Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is going to garner a lot of safety coverage as well, which helps take the top off much more easily for Jalen Hyatt, and he could potentially fill in that McCall Hardman role, which they look to be losing as well, and that MVS role, which he had a bit of success in. New York Giants as well, a great fit for Jalen Hyatt as their receiver depth is one of the weakest in the NFL. His consensus landing spot consensus landing spot is indeed with the new york giants according to these consensus mock draft databases his top player comparisons without any draft capital involved and some of them are very favorable some of them not so much john ross obviously funny enough comes out as a top comparison when you're looking at the analytic models aj brown comes out as one of the more favorable comparisons michael Pittman in that range as well but both of them as we've noted Definitely bigger in size than Jalen Hyatt, but there can be some similar production value there as far as points per game are concerned. More similarly sized and probably closer to his NFL trajectory to guys like Curtis Samuel, Amon Ross St. Brown, potentially Jamison Williams as well. They are very similar prospects. Terrace Marshall, Quez Watkins, Lance Moore. Jalen Darden and Greg Little would round out some unfavorable comps for Jalen Hyatt, but again, that is what happens with the speedsters that get top NFL draft capital and only have one year of positive production at the collegiate level. You're going to get a lot of unfavorable NFL comps. His future NFL and fantasy outlook is kind of obvious. Uh, we'll take the chalk here, and and but it is positive, and there can be some production. Hyatt's vertical speed is the exact intangible NFL general managers become enamored with year after year. It's going to put him in a positive position to succeed. Despite a limited route tree and lack of early production, he's anticipated to be selected in the first round. That's going to help his analytic model and his prospect profile round out quite nicely. Um, prototypical athleticism and projected draft capital should lead to a path of instant development for the rookie wideout, allowing serviceable low-end wide receiver two numbers uh, in his rookie season should he reach that assumed pot potential that he showed as a Blitnikoff winner. Expect a few years of erratic boom and bust production from Hyatt, though. He's going to take a while to develop. His route tree needs a lot of work. He's not going to be as effective with his speed against NFL defenses, so he's going to need to learn some of those nuances and learn them quickly. There's no doubt he can make an immediate impact. However, his big play profile is going to lead some frustrating inconsistencies as he develops into the NFL wide receiver that everybody wants to see him as. Moving on to who would be the guy that I feel much more comfortable in and kind of has a bit of a similar undervalued kind of overlooked outlook um that we see continuously as guys like Jahan Dotson uh even Devontae Smith his rookie year Josh Downs is the next wide receiver we're going to get into and somebody that I would certainly value ahead of Jalen Hyatt I don't think that the NFL will and I think a lot of dynasty leagues are going to make that same mistake but I really like Josh Downs now Josh Downs had some very, very stellar seasons in the ACC, three stellar seasons of production, um, broke out as a true freshman, came in at 5'9", 171 pounds with a 30 and 3 8 inch arm span, hands are nine and one quarter inches, that's definitely a little small, but so is he, and 
it's within a range that you feel somewhat comfortable. Hand size is something that gets overlooked with NFL wide receivers a lot. Um, funny that we overlook the thing that they use to catch the ball in our prospect profiles, but hand size is definitely very important to projecting NFL success. Um, nine and a quarter, not great, but not a runaway red flag. Going to come in at the draft at 21 years old. Yes, he's an early declare as well. Only three seasons in the ACC at UNC playing for the University of North Carolina. Broke out as a freshman at 19 years old. NFL combine was positive. I would have liked to have seen him run a faster 40 at 4.48 seconds for his size. It's not the best speed score, but a great 10-yard split of 1.49 seconds. Vertical jump, 38 and a half inches. That's very good for his size. Broad jump, 10 feet 11 inches again very good explosivity for explosivity scores from downs downs here uh, can't talk today very good explosivity scores from downs here um grew up in georgia where he absolutely destroyed destroyed the high school circuit um four-star recruit committed to the university of north carolina spent all three of it, years of his collegiate career there he has the single season reception record at UNC with 101. He has the single season receiving yard record at UNC with 1,335. He led the ACC in receptions twice in 2021 and 2022. He's a two-time first team all ACC and a two-time Belitnikoff award semifinalist. Now never broke through and won that award, but it's good to have your name in that pantheon more than one time. That is for sure. He played primarily as a special teamer during his freshman season at UNC. He suited up for 10 contests, but only played offensive snaps in four of those contests, collected seven receptions for 119 yards and three touchdowns during his freshman season. Obviously nothing to write home about, but he did end his freshman campaign with an emphatic breakout game during the orange bowl, uh, caught four passes for, for 92 of those 119 total yards and two touchdowns. And this was after stars like Deami Brown, Michael Carter, Javante Williams stars at UNC all declared for the NFL draft. And with those previously mentioned players out of the fold, Downs was staring down the pipeline of a monumental 2021 season in his sophomore year. The new number one immediately made his name known as a record eight receptions for 123 yards and two touchdowns in UNC's opener. Uh, Downs would go on to shatter longstanding school records in both receptions and yards. He topped out with 101 receptions for 13. 101 receptions for 1,335 yards. That's 13.2 yards per reception and eight touchdowns as a sophomore. And then entered the 2022 season top the depth chart in both, you know, wide receiver and running back as the unquestioned leader of the UNC offense. But the loss of Sam Howell certainly had some minor regression effects for both the offense and Josh Downs as a wideout. His final year as a junior, he secured 94 receptions for 1,000 and 29 yards that's 10.9 yards per reception a career high 11 touchdowns but obviously you wanted to see continued production not a bit of regression and step back um the touchdowns are a positive indicator of dominator rating but when you're using weighted dominator rating because of how difficult it is to predict touchdown progression into the nfl and at the nfl level for that matter it's not a very sticky stat from year to year and it doesn't necessarily translate um from year to year or from college to the nfl so the one positive um 
perk is obviously his increase in touchdowns, but to see regression in every other category is a little disappointing. He finished his career with 202 receptions, 2,483 yards, 12.3 yards per reception on average, and 22 touchdowns across 34 games played. That sets multiple UNC program records in the process. He entrenched himself in the pantheon of incredible UNC athletes. Um, One of the school's most decorated athletes as far as the football program is concerned, obviously known for their basketball prowess. After three seasons, he decided to declare early for the NFL, opted out of UNC's final bowl game. Um, Some interesting stats to know that I have written down. I I found two drops on 120 targets in 2022. That was amongst the top receivers in the NCAA that saw more than 120 targets. He generated 385 yards after the catch, forcing 12 missed tackles in his final season. That accounted for 42.6% of the team's receptions and 40.1% of the team's receiving yards in 2021, an absolutely monstrous sophomore season season fourth most receiving yards in UNC history, despite only three years of play and third most receptions in UNC history, despite only three years of play. Um, Collegiate career bests are where, Josh Downs really stands out in most analytic models. He had a 100% route participation in his best season, a 39.1% target share that season, 30.2% targets per route run, 3.53 receiving yards per team pass attempt, 1.50 receiving yards per team attempt, and 2.80 yards per route run. Josh Downs is somebody that I really, really enjoy, especially at the back end of these rookie drafts these um, first round rookie drafts he has an nfl draft grade of 6.41 that indicates that he'll become a good starter within two years of nfl um, experience next gen draft grade of 86 that puts him in a pretty top tier of nfl wide receivers all of them have had what they would consider a good nfl career um, with at least a one 1000 yard season somewhere in that mix Scouting strengths are burner speed down the sidelines. He has instantaneous acceleration. He's mean over the middle. He's been a lethal red zone threat his entire college career. Plays much bigger than his size in tight windows. Versatile route tree, unlike Jalen Hyatt. He's a special feel for the slot position as well, which is absolutely fine. Slot position produces numbers at the NFL level. We like receptions. Low depth of target is absolutely okay as long as they are being peppered with those targets. And he has been peppered with targets throughout his collegiate career. He makes any quarterback look look good. Posted stellar QB ratings when targeted in all three years at UNC. Shifty feet, shifty body control, excellent footwork along the sidelines. Knows how to and when to change his tempo. Creates separations from defenders both with his long speed and deception. Um, Scouting weaknesses. They're there and, and they're not huge red flags, but they're unfortunate. He's small. He's real small. His official measurements came in well below the generous measurements uh, that they had him listed at UNC. 5'9", probably plays around 165. Had some issues with tracking the deep ball despite torching defenders with his elite speed. Some annoying deep ball drops in his film grades. Continuously shoved around in press coverage, kind of to be expected with his small size. Might need manufactured touches at the NFL level to avoid it. Not necessarily hard to do at the slot. Um... Deals with inconsistent size mismatches is going to continue to do that at the NFL level where everybody's bigger and everybody's faster. 
He lacks solid hand size, as we mentioned before, and hand strength. Again, dropped some easy bullet passes and some perfectly placed long balls. Press coverage is more like smash coverage. Uh, struggles against strong cornerbacks off the line of scrimmage. Needs to work on finishing his routes with that snap acceleration ability that we talked about. He likes to kind of slow down at the finish of routes after using so much energy throughout the breaks. Uh, I would like to see him finish routes a lot stronger and catch those balls in stride, a la some guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba. Majority of his career was spent playing from the slot. That brings some questions, obviously, about his ability to win on the outside. But he's a really, really crisp route runner. I think if they move those routes around the formation, you're going to see some success from Josh Downs regardless. The biggest red flag is kind of one that you wouldn't think matters for your fantasy rosters, but he's legitimately such a bad run blocker that I think it's going to affect his snap participation as a pro in certain sets. So you might see him kind of used more in three wide receiver sets rather than two wide receiver sets, kind of taking on that true slot receiver role um, where they don't trust him to win on the outside or block on the outside. Expected draft capital going in the second round. Uh, an EDP of 36.3 consensus position ranking as wide receiver six. I think perfect fit and landing spots are, I mean, you need a wide receiver and you're not willing to spend this top capital on them. Go out and get Josh Downs, the NFL GMs, but Indianapolis Colts, Baltimore Ravens, Kansas city chiefs. Those would be excellent spots for Josh Downs. In my opinion, consensus has them going to the Carolina Panthers. Now that consensus consensus is set in um, with considering the trades that they just made. I don't know that he's necessarily a DJ Moore replacement, but obviously they are wide receiver hungry and are going to be looking to fill those holes during the draft. Top NFL player comparisons, I have Josh Downs coming in with favorable comparisons to guys such as Jalen Waddell, Josh Palmer, Garrett Wilson, Kadarius Toney, Tyler Lockett, Curtis Samuel, Hunter Renfro, and Ted Ginn Jr. So definitely some downside, definitely some upside with some high-end comps of Waddle and Garrett Wilson. But you see a lot of what if in that profile? It is a lot of what if with Josh Palmer? What if there was no Mike Williams and Keenan Allen? What if Kadarius Tony could stay healthy? Tyler Lockett, I think, is Josh Downs' perfect um, physical and analytic model. I think Josh Downs can certainly develop into an outside winner. May take a few years to develop into that outside winner. Would probably be kept in the slot as that time develops, but can put up some serious production on your rosters once he develops into the NFL star that. I think is buried within that profile. Future NFL outlook is probably slot reliant. Um, definitely going to need a positive landing spot, but more positive, I think, just in volume. Volume that is going to supplement his inability to immediately take over the outside role of any given offense. So a pass-happy offense with three wide receiver sets is going to turn Josh Downs, I think, into an absolute stud in Dynasty and PPR formats. Moving on to the last, but certainly not least, prospect of this episode is somebody that I also like a lot, and I really like where he's being valued kind of in that second round rookie draft range, mid-second round range. That's Boston College's Zay Flowers. Now, Zay has some of those obvious red flags that I mentioned earlier on when we were talking about the trusting the process portion of this pod. Where, no, Zay Flowers is not an early breakout. He's going to enter the draft at 22 years old. He broke out at the age of 20, so a bit later. He's only 5'9", 182 pounds. He has shorter arm span as well. 
29 inches or 29 and one quarter inch rather uh nine and one quarter inch hand width he came in the nfl combine and had a very very impressive gauntlet during the on-field drills looked phenomenal in a lot of the route running and had a very very respectful athletic testing as well 40 yard dash was 4.42 seconds a 10 yard split of 1.53 seconds vertical leap of 35 and a half broad jump of 10 feet 7 inches now none of the wide receivers that we've talked about today participated in the three cone 20 yard in bench if you're wondering why i haven't brought those up but i figured i would mention it with zay jones he did play four years or with zay flowers rather he did play four years at boston college but had some pretty stellar production in all four seasons uh as a true freshman caught 22 passes for 341 yards three touchdowns um he returned to florida worked out on occasion with antonio brown and geno smith you can go check those instagram stories um and then came back and, and had a really good sophomore season finishing with 56 receptions for 892 yards um nine touchdowns and to put that into perspective his boston college was not doing much at all, let alone in the passing game. I mean, it's 2019 in those 13 games, those 22 receptions accounted for 13.7% of the receiving share. 42 targets accounted for 12.9% of the target share. 34 or 30, 341 receiving yards accounted for 14.9% of the receiving yard share. So not the greatest freshman um, season, but certainly making an impact on an offense that had very few weapons in the passing game and was essentially just handing the ball to AJ Dillon every chance they got in 2020 he played 11 games 56 receptions that was a 24.8% reception share 106 targets 27.2% target share now if you made that connection connection as quick as your brain as I did 56 receptions on 106 targets is not the greatest catch rating Alas, he did have 892 receiving yards and nine touchdowns. That was a 28.5% receiving yard share as a sophomore, averaged 15.9 yards per reception, 2.29 receiving yards per team pass attempt, and 1.19 yards receiving yards, 1.19 receiving yards per team attempt. Crossing the threshold for both of those analytic points in our model and really impressing as a sophomore and again in an offense that just wasn't doing anything whether it be on the ground or through the air in 2021 it gets a bit better in counting stats a bit of a regression in the receiving yards per team pass attempt but he played 12 games 44 receptions in 2021 26.0 percent receiving share 83 targets that was a 27.3 percent target share he accumulated 746 receiving yards, five touchdowns. Those receiving yards were good for 33.6% of Boston College's market share in receiving yards. 17.0 yards per reception. Crossed the receiving yards per team pass attempt threshold with 2.45 receiving yards per team pass attempt. Fell just below the receiving yards per team attempt at 0.96, but was close enough that you don't feel absolutely dreaded by it but you you know you make note you make note uh 38.5% receiving touchdowns and he also had seven rushes for 69 yards 9.9 yards per carry 14.7% of the offensive touchdown share oh and as a freshman he did account for 41 rushing yards and one touchdown as well so something that Zay Flowers has mixed in over any of these other prospects is a decent amount of of upside in the rushing game at least at a collegiate level in 2022 uh coming out he 
as a junior, he played 12 games, 78 receptions, 29.8% receiving share. That's 130 targets to accumulate those receptions, 29.6% target share, 1,707 receiving yards, 12 touchdowns, 36.3 receiving yard share, 13.8 yards per reception, 2.45 receiving yards per team pass attempt, 1.35 receiving yards per team attempt. You love to see it. And incredibly, Zay Flowers in his in his junior season, or in his final season, rather, his senior season in 2022, put up 57.1% of the team's receiving touchdowns and 44.4% of the team's total touchdowns. He was the entire Boston College offense, and it led him to being being named a Belitnikoff Award semifinalist. He finished his career out with 44 games, 200 receptions, 361 targets, 3,056 receiving yards, 31 total touchdowns on a 13.3 yard A dot. He played 1,477 snaps. He ran 1,415 routes, a great route participation in the high 90%, 2.2 yards per route run, 35.5% slot rate, and 64.1% wide rate. So Zay Jones certainly favors as a slot receiver at the NFL level just based on his size, his athleticism, his yards after the catch ability, um, things of that nature. But can operate on the outside, has been asked to do so at the collegiate level as the number one wide receiver in Boston College for four consecutive seasons, and has had success doing so, being named a Belitnikoff Award semifinalist, all um, first team um, setting records at, all ACC first team setting records at Boston College. Um, Just really a overlooked and underrated solid profile for flowers now obviously size is going to come up as a concern for him there's a new trend in the nfl though because they is expected to get pretty decent draft capital and you shouldn't concern yourself with size as long as the nfl doesn't meaning that outlier strand kind of widen itself when those guys get selected in the fourth fifth sixth round um yeah no it's you're increasing your chance of missing on other prospects and increasing your chance of drafting a bust potential player when they are drafted late and are also small and played four years and early but they had incredible production and, and incredible market shares in those four years so you can slightly excuse the non-early declare status and also considering the shortened COVID season that all these players in the NCAA had an extra year of eligibility. He had phenomenal production in those four years. Um, He is a little bit undersized, but he also is expected to get decent NFL draft capital. Um, So guys like Devontae Smith, Marquise Brown, Tyler, you know, you can compare him more favorably to those guys rather than downgrading him. Um, because of some of these red flags. Um, as high as I am for his value on Zay Flowers, I would be remiss without bringing up those red flags once again. He was a four-year senior with 
in a weaker ACC conference with a late college breakout. He's definitely considered undersized despite success as an outside receiver. He has a small catch radius, shorter arms. He gets bullied in zone coverage off the press too frequently for my liking. If we're being honest, he's athletically good, not great. You can contest him pretty easily because of the size. And he doesn't like it when defenders get up in his space. That said, he's quicker than fast, but plenty fast. 4.4 4.4 second 40 yard dash and quicker than fast like guys like Amon Ra, like JSN, like Cooper Cup, that he runs crispy routes like they are fresh cut French fries, my friends. He makes them miss and he'll make them pay both in his route running tree and after the catch. He's a slippery open field runner. He has effortless control of speed and deceleration. Go fast, stop, go faster. Plays outside in the and in the slot with success at both positions. So I think his versatility is actually a positive despite his size. I think NFL teams are going to view him as somebody that, look, we're in the second round or maybe even at the back end of the first, and we need somebody to fit into that slot role, but maybe potentially take over the outside role of a veteran that may be leaving within one year or that we're looking to trade away. I think the Arizona Cardinals would be a great fit for somebody like say flowers in that regard. Maybe even somebody like the 49ers where they could lock down, you know, another rookie contract. Obviously he's going to have to compete for targets in a very difficult spot, but it would be a very, very positive landing spot when you consider how Kyle Shanahan likes to manufacture touches and targets for his wide receivers because Zay flowers could excel at a very high level in this system, much like that. The dolphins presenting a very similar system. He does have first slash second round draft capital with a 31 and a half, 30 and a half EDP. So right at the back end of the first early second is where these teams are expected to spend their draft capital on Zay flower. According to these mocks consensus position rank as uh, wide receiver five, wide receiver four, slightly ahead, depending on on where you're looking up, slightly ahead of um, the Jalen Hyatt's and the Josh Downs. Perfect fit landing spot. I mentioned a few, but Los Angeles Chargers, I think, are somebody that's definitely going to be attacking a player like, say, Flowers. I think New Orleans Saints are definitely going to be looking at a player like, say, Flowers with them potentially having to get rid of Michael Thomas. They need a lot of youth uh, to keep them under that cap situation. And obviously they want to compete now with the Derek Carr move Dallas Cowboys with them already having a solidified alpha outside and CD lamb. His consensus landing spot right now is the Indianapolis Colts as a project player. I would assume that they can put alongside um, Michael Pittman and maybe allow Alec Pierce to take over a big bodied slot role where Zay has a bit more speed and can win on the outside with more success than Pierce can. His top NFL player comparisons are, are certainly favorable. Um, when you look at guys that played four years, surpassed the receiving market threshold, per, surpassed the receiving yards market threshold, um, their dominator ratings, target earning ratings, all very similar. Guys like Jahan Dotson, Khalil Shakir is a more recent and I guess, unfavorable comp, but Devontae Smith played four seasons, similar market shares. Darnell Mooney, Deontay Johnson, Hunter Renfro, James Washington, Jamison Crowder. So at the bottom end there, definitely some outlier upside in the good seasons that we saw from Jamison Crowder and Hunter Renfro. But Deontay Johnson, Darnell Mooney, Devontae Smith, Jahan Dotson, I think that's right in the range of Zay Flowers' range of outcomes. And he should be able to return that within his first or second season in the league, allowing for that second round rookie pick that you're going to allocate towards him be worth the cost of acquisition. Now, as far as 
I have beaten these red flags for flowers into the ground. He is so close on all of the thresholds. And again, the COVID season kind of messes with some of our early declare information, but he's so close on all of these thresholds and so dominant in, in other ones that you can kind of place him in a lesser risk outlier in my opinion, and and especially if that projected draft capital is attached to him. He's going to dominate the slot. He plays with unbridled energy, immense confidence. He's got a slight build, but he can definitely beat the press with his quickness uh, and fly along the sidelines to keep them stacked behind him. Finishes routes excellently, very crisp. He showed a lot of that in the combine and a lot of that on film throughout four seasons. He dominated his market shares at Boston College as their number one asset um whether it be in the run game or the passing game he was essentially the only one that could put up positive production for that team in the acc he's a super exciting deep threat but an even more exciting yards after the catch guy and i do think that as long as he maintains that you see him get drafted at the back end of the first or anywhere within that second round if he maintains first or second round draft capital that pushes his production profile and his analytic profile into a position where I absolutely see Zay flowers being a perennial wide receiver two candidate and wide receiver two value candidate where maybe he doesn't burst past some other draft mates and some other market assets, but a guy like Tyler Lockett, where you are very happy with the production and the cost that it gets to that production or the cost it takes to get that production on your roster. Um, I think flowers fits into all 32 systems and will definitely be perceived as somebody that is a multi-tool guy that can make an impact right away. I think that's going to wrap it up for everyone. We had fun. I had fun. You had fun. I hope we had fun. We got through Jalen Hyatt. We got through Josh Downs. We got through Zay Flowers. We talked about their prospect profiles, their models. We talked about the prospect process. We got a little sprinkle of dynasty news in here with some value switches on the market because of the free agency signings. Um, We got it all. Be sure, please, everybody, be sure. Download the app. Once again, you heard Tim's beautiful voice asking, talking about it in the intro. Go to your Google Play. Go to your Apple Store. Download the app. It's free. It's got all of the stats and all of the information that I just gave you today. Check out the podcast anywhere you can get it. We're on YouTube now as well. If you want to get your stuff by video, we'll be clipping up shorts and putting them on TikTok and Instagram reels as well. Download it on Spotify. And last but not least, please consider joining the Patreon for as little as $3 a month. It gives you access to me, DMs all the time, and obviously all of the brothers via the Discord, the best Discord, and all of Discord, all of the community. I was going to say fantasy football, but it's literally just the best Discord in the world. There's, you know, we talk about everything there. We're family. Um, you can get great betting advice in there as well. We're always, you know, sharing our lines and sharing our picks. You get access to Cass's DFS algorithm, um, access to, you know, dynasty evaluations and Brodo fantasy leagues, Patreon leagues, obviously with great prizes and excellent competition and beat the bro leagues. So make sure you head over to the Patreon Brodo fantasy or patreon.com slash Brodo fantasy and get signed up there. Much love, much respect. See you soon.